One of the most important principles of biblical interpretation is to keep in mind the context of what you are trying to interpret. There is a wise adage that says, a text without a context is a pretext. But grammatical context is not the only context we need to be aware of. There is also cultural context, historical context, and geographical context, among others. For a fascinating illustration of the importance of biblical context, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I have a very special guest with us today. His name is Doug Greenwall. He is a down-to-earth Bible scholar who serves as the Senior Teaching Fellow for a ministry called Preserving Bible Times. Doug has been with us several times before, and he is one of our favorite Bible teachers. Welcome to Christ in Prophecy, brother. Thank you, both of <laughs> you. Oh, so good to have you back on. Good to be here. Excellent. Well, last time that you were here, you, you wowed our audience with the fact that you get into context, context, context. <laughs> I went to your website, and as I study it, you have fantastic articles and a newsletter that's about context. Tell us a little about your ministry and why context to you is so important. Well, you said context, context, context matters because of transformation, transformation, transformation. There we go. Okay, tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, the Bible writers, when they wrote their scrolls, assumed that their readers lived when, where, and how they did. Okay. So they had no need to explain what everyone knew to be true. They just assumed you knew. Well, 2,000 years later, 90% of that is missing in our Western way of thinking. Mm -hmm. It's in the white spaces between the lines. <laughs> the okay. okay. And so what we do at Preserving Bible Times is equip people to read in the white spaces between the line, to Excellent. understand it like it was originally understood. Okay. That gets us closer to the original meaning of the passage. And if we want to get closer to the original meaning of the passage, we get closer to the epicenter of the always intended transformation by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we do what we do with books and publications and seminars and conferences. And they're wonderful resources at preservingbibletimes.org. And I highly recommend people, if they're interested in reading the Bible like the people who first heard those words, check us out. And you do a very good job of it. Yes. Well, folks, we're going to take a brief break. And when we return, Doug is going to give us an illustration of the importance of context with regard to the story in Luke 8 about Jesus healing the demoniac. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy, our interview with Doug Greenwald, the Senior Teaching Fellow for a ministry called Preserving Bible Times. Doug, I want to get into the illustration you <laughs> said about context, particularly about the demoniac in Luke chapter 8. Can okay. you tell us about that? Absolutely. And okay. to get us started, I'm going to read from the text. All right, let's read. Uh, you're welcome to join me in Luke 8, 22. One day Jesus got into a boat with His disciples and said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now a violent windstorm came down on the lake, and the boat started filling with water, and they were in danger. They came and woke Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we are about to die. So Jesus got up and, interesting word here, rebuked 
the wind, we're going to return to that, and the raging waves, and they lied down, and it was calm. And then he said to them, where is your faith? I'm going to ask you in a little bit uh, while here, what's the nature of that question? Okay. Where is your faith? Now I'm going to hop over to Mark 4, where there's a collateral uh, passage that deals with this same encounter. Mark 4, 35. On that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So after leaving the crowd, they took him along just as he was. That's an idiomatic phrase that we're going to open up here. So let me set the stage, right? We're about 18 months into Jesus's earthly ministry. Half of the time now of the training of these disciples. Maybe it's time for their midterm exam. Are they getting it, right? Midterms. Yeah, this vision of the kingdom of God, this bringing mercy to people who have been systematically deprived of it. Are they getting it, you know? So I think this is part of what's going on here. This is also the first time that Jesus is going to leave the friendly confines of the northwest corner, quadrant of the Sea of Galilee, where the religious Jews live, and go on the offensive into enemy territory down into the southeastern quadrant of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Decapolis. Okay? Okay. So it's late in an afternoon. You've been standing around watching Jesus teach and heal, heal and teach, teach and heal, heal and teach. Um, you're probably kind of tired because standing around is often the most tiring thing we can do. It's about <laughs> five o'clock in the afternoon and Jesus says, get in the boats, we're going to the other side. Now, as observant Jewish men, when you hear the phrase, the other side, you know that's the code word for the Decapolis, which is a word that cannot be spoken because it will make you ritually unclean. Even to speak the word. Absolutely. There's actions you can't do, there are words you can't say in this world of observant Judaism. And the word Decapolis is evil because? The Decapolis is what's left from Alexander the Great's conquest of this part of the Middle East when he okay. brought in wholesale Macedonian city-states to conquer. Mm -hmm. And this is what's left. It's so it's a, a pagan area. It's not only pagan, it's viewed as the kingdom of evil. Okay. Oh. Satan is the chief operating officer, okay? And an observant Jewish man is forbidden from going there, okay? okay. So how are you feeling, disciples? We're oh, going to yeah. a place you're forbidden Never to knew go. that was code language. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's late in the afternoon, and this phrase from Mark, just as he was, means now. <laughs> <laughs> not as soon as possible, not after you leave a note for your wife or, you know, or get a snack. Get in the boats and get in the boats now. All right? So how are we doing? Well, okay. Happy yeah. I'm learning things I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. well, I got to think you're not too pleased with this. <laughs> so you set off. You start sailing southeast from Capernaum down here to the Decapolis. A wind is going to come from the east and blow us off course. Okay? So we're sailing along and a wind starts to pick up. No problem. We fishermen have seen winds yes. like this. Yes. We can handle this. Well, it picks up a little bit more and a little bit more. And suddenly it's a wind like they've never seen. And they realize they're going to die. And so somebody says, well, I guess it's time to wake up Jesus. <laughs> Why did you wait so long, disciples, to do that? Well, you said we're fishermen, right? That means we should be pretty good sailors, right? Isn't it, it can be real troublesome to lean on your own self-competency, can it not? Ah, yes. We can handle this. Ah, we've seen this before. Mm -hmm. I think there's a little implied message here. Go to Jesus sooner rather than later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why do we wait so yeah, long that's, thinking that's we can It's usually handle? our last resort, you know. We right. try our education and money and everything else. <laughs> so Jesus 
wakes up and says, uh, calm, peace, and we have a miracle. Not only does the wind stop blowing, but the waves are completely suppressed. It should take several hours for them to settle down. Maybe. I grew up on Michigan Lakes, okay? I'll tell you, when a wave gets set in motion, it yeah, keeps it going it until it hits mm -hmm. the shore, yeah. mm -hmm. okay? This is amazing. <laughs> These waves have suddenly went, right? <laughs> now, Jesus says, where is your faith? So that's an interesting question, yeah. okay? Let me fill it in. The disciples are going to a place they know they're forbidden to go. It's the land of Satan. They expect a response. And as wind comes up, they're very familiar with Hosea 12.1 because these observant Jewish men have memorized most of their Torah, their Old Testament, right? Where it says, talks about the wicked winds from the evil empires of the east. They're sailing east. Oh. This is a Sharkia wind. Those of people who live in California understand Santa Ana winds, yes. right? This is semi-arid land on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. It gets very hot during the day. It gets very cold at night. You get the wind inversions. And it's not that unusual that in 15 minutes you have six and eight foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. Okay? I actually have pictures of that. Oh, yeah. Okay? Mm. So they're on a mission that they know they shouldn't be going on. It's to the land of the adversary. They expect a response. They know about the wicked winds from the evil empires of the East. They see this as a demonic wind. The issue of faith here is not that Jesus doesn't have control over nature. They saw that in a great catch of fish, right? Mm -hmm. That's why the word rebuke is there. Jesus is going to rebuke his adversary, who's hijacking nature to try to stall this offensive from going to his territory, his domain, his kingdom. And the disciples know this, but they were not with Jesus during the 40 days of temptation. Okay. They do not know that Jesus triumphed over the adversary. Okay. So this is a showdown at the OK Corral, and they're not sure who's going to win. <laughs> I would suggest to you that's the context of Jesus' question. Where is your faith? Don't you know in a word, I am conquered the adversary and triumphed over him? No, they don't. Okay. So now the wind has stopped, right? But you still got a ways to go to get the other side. How are you going to get there? You have no wind You're anymore. You're going to have to row. Row, row, row your boat. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, you know, this is a 28-foot boat. It's seven foot across. It's four foot deep. It's a minimum four-person boat. Starting to row, row, row your boat. Jesus has an interesting way of getting us involved in the ministry, right? <laughs> they can't just sit anymore they just and float. Sit there. They uh, gotta... They're an active participant. Oh. But as they rowed, don't you think that they were probably pretty upset that they, where they were going and wondering why we're going to a pagan area? We almost lost our life. We're about to become totally ritually unclean. unclean yeah. We may be in the purification baths for 30 days and <laughs> get dry rot in our armpits here, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, are you happy campers as no. disciples? No, we're I could. are very confused. Uh, right, probably. you're, you're oh, on a yeah. journey you don't want to go on. Yeah. And by the way, Jesus decided to do this late in the day. That raises an interesting question. Does Jesus' call always come when we're fresh and ready? No. No. No, no not at all. Right? <laughs> a 
lot of insights here, right? By so, going late, would they think then that they might have to stay overnight there too? Could they get back in time? They so? frankly don't know. It's all part of the great unknown here. Okay. You know? So they have to follow Jesus without knowing where they're going. Or That's what, what doing. a rabbi does. He follows his rabbi. He submits his authority to him. And happy or not, you're going to do it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. And by the way, welcome to the way Jesus makes disciples. Shock therapy, just about every day. <laughs> you better believe it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Taking I mean, me out of my comfort zone. Jesus started by touching the leper. Do you think that blew their minds right there? Yes. Because leprosy was communicable by touch in their way of thinking, all right? So we're rowing the boat. <laughs> and uh, if you've been around water, you know that sound travels over water. All of a sudden you start to hear shrieks and screams. And somebody turns around and in the ambient light of the moon, that's a naked man. We as observant Ooh. Jews are forbidden from observing the nakedness of another person. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. There, there's some caves there. They could be tombs. We as Jewish men are forbidden to get too close to tombs. We can't set foot on the land because it's demonic land. I mean, the ritual impurity issues here are just really building up, right? We're talking about baths for three months now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so how happy are we now? <laughs> oh, wow. Wanting to go back home to Capernaum probably. Yeah, I mean, you can almost hear Peter and John say, is it time for an intervention here? I mean, we've seen some strange things, but this is over the top. We really cannot do this. But no. Their disciples, they need to submit to their rabbi. Okay? So we're approaching the gravel shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's not sand, right? That's right. And we're going to pick this up right after our break here. Yes, folks, we're going to take just a brief break. And when we return, Doug is going to continue with this story telling what happened when Jesus and his disciples arrived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our interview with Doug Greenwald, the Senior Teaching Fellow for a ministry called Preserving Bible Times. Okay, Doug, you, you took <laughs> us across the Sea of Galilee. We are now in the Decapolis and don't leave us hanging. What happens? Well, let's pick up as Luke records it here. Okay. So they sailed over to the region of the Gergesenes, which is opposite Galilee. As Jesus stepped ashore, we'll return to that, a certain man from the town met him who was possessed by demons. For a long time this man had worn no clothes and had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and shouted with a loud voice, Leave me alone. This is a demoniac inside this man. Jesus, Son of the Most High, God, I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus was started commanding. So the demon recognized who Jesus was. Oh, James tells us that of course the demons recognize yeah. who Jesus is. For it had seized him many times so that he would be bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, but he would break the restraints and be driven by a demon into deserted places. Okay? Let's leave that there for the moment and pick up Mark's corresponding account here. So they came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gergesenes. Just as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit from the tombs and met him. 
He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For his hands and his feet were often bound with chains and shackles, but he had torn the chains apart and broken the shackles in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Every night and every day around the tombs and in the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Mm. Terrifying. Very grim picture. It is. What I want us to get a sense of here is this demoniac in the eyes of this culture is a sub, 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 sub human being, okay? And we're going to see how God's heart beats for a sub, sub, sub human being, right? So let's go back to the boat. We're rowing. We're getting closer to shore. We hear the screeches. We realize he's naked. We see the tombs and we're panicked. (laughs) Ritual impurity upon ritual impurity is just stacking up here. And isn't it interesting when you read this carefully, it only, Luke says, Jesus gets out of the boat. I would suggest to you, you all disciples (laughs) stayed in the boat. Okay. I'm not putting my foot on that symbol. Exactly. I mean, we're willing to follow Jesus, right? But sometimes it gets a little too messy. So we're going to stay in the boat. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Interestingly enough, Jesus does not chide them, fortunately. Doesn't chide disciples when they mess up or stay in a boat. Thank you, Jesus, for that. (laughs) So he gets out of the boat. Now, freeze that thought, and let's be the demoniac for a minute, okay? You've been harassed. You've been despised. You've been ridiculed. You've been cursed for as long as you can remember. And now it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you start to see multiple boats coming toward the shore, and you say to yourself, Now they're coming at two in the morning to harass me. How how bad can it get? Right? And then the boat's gravelly uh, beach, if you will. And one person gets out of the boat. And I don't know whether it was 15 feet or 20 feet, 25 feet, depending on the ambient light of the moon. But the demoniac realizes he's got facial hair. It's a Jew. Ah, yeah. Wow, what are Jews doing over here at 2 in the morning? What is going on? And then it doesn't take the demoniac long to figure out. This Jew has come to contest for me, Hmm. to fight for me. And there's this dialogue that takes place, okay, between the demons who immediately recognize who Jesus is, who do not want to be sent back into the abyss. And I want to suggest to you here that the adversary, Satan, always has a backup plan. If plan one didn't work, the wind, to keep them from coming ashore, he's got a backup plan B, okay? And so there's negotiation, and the demons say, can we go into those boars, pigs? And Jesus eventually says yes, okay? How many demons are we talking about? His name was Legion, right? Which means in a Roman legion is how many? In a Roman legion, the Roman 10th legion is occupying this land, uh, 4,800. 4,800. Now, that's not to say there's exactly 4,800, but the word means many. Okay. On the Richter scale of demonic possession, this is off the charts. Okay? And so let me tell you something about boars. They're really not pigs, but that's how we Westerners are given the word here to understand it. They have very wide girths, which gives them tremendous buoyancy. Okay? Boars are actually really good swimmers. Oh. 
The mm. fact that one of them drowns would be kind of stunning, but that 2,000 of them drown, utterly amazing. So utterly they, amazing. They killed themselves. Pretty much. Huh. Yep. Okay. They killed the boars. Yep. Now, got a little comparison here. Across the Sea of Galilee, back where the Jewish people are, if a family has five sheep, they're considered well off. If a, if a family has, um, with other families in the clan, uh, 15 sheep, that's a pretty good deal. And if the whole village has 100 sheep, it's a fairly prosperous village, okay? We're talking now about 2,000 boars. This is an estimate, but it may be 25% of the agricultural gross national product of this whole region. <laughs> okay. the whole region. The this whole is region. a crop, basically. <laughs> this is a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Okay. This is the big deal, okay? And so we read in the text, so the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus. I'm reading in uh, verse 35 of Luke 8. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed, and in his right mind. All right? Now, this, this is really fascinating. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is the posture of a disciple. That's what disciples will do. Okay? Now, he was naked. Yeah, where to get the clothes? Exactly. You think huh. there's amois of clothes <laughs> in these caves waiting for this moment in time? No. Another miracle. Yeah, where'd the clothes come from? Could Jesus even have taken his own cloak off and given it to him or one of the uh, disciples? He wouldn't have had enough um, cloth on him to pull that off. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the people from the region come here and rather than rejoice in an incredible rescue of a demon-possessed man, they're upset over the 2,000 boars. I can understand why. Materialism always trumps a human being, right? Hmm. Yeah. So, they want Jesus to leave. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of Dodge, you know, <laughs> as fast as you can. For they were seized with fear. Pick it up in verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare what God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole town, city, what Jesus had done for him. Interesting juxtaposition there. Jesus says, you go tell him what God's done, and he goes and tells him what Jesus did because Jesus is God as far uh, as he's concerned. Okay? The proclamation of Jesus being yeah. the Father. Yeah. Well. Now, I mean, be this demoniac for just a minute here, all right? Wouldn't you want to stay with Jesus like stuck like a Siamese twin for the rest of your days to this man for what he has just done for you. Absolutely. And it seems a little harsh here. Jesus, you stay here. Okay? And by the way, let me give you an assignment. I want you to go tell your story. Go into the city here of twelve to 15,000 people and tell your story. I thought, found that interesting because Jesus often said to people, don't tell the story. Yes. Well, he's in a different place. Yeah. That's why we always have to ask, where is Jesus when he says what he says and yeah. does what he does, all right? So he's <laughs> obedient. And he goes in to the city, Gergesa, and says, Hey, you, about to go to the Roman gymnasiums. Can I tell you my story? You got five minutes. You going into the taverna. Yeah, you three, can I tell you my story? Um, sir, you're about to go into a temple with ritual prostitution here. But before you do, can I tell you my story? Wherever he went, he told his story. Okay? 
Everybody knew the before. Mm-hmm. And the after is pretty obvious, right? It sure is. It was a short story. But he told it, and he told it, and he told it to whoever would listen. And when Jesus returns in several months, in Mark 7, beginning of Mark 8, we have the feeding of the 4,000. Wow, that's where because they came from. Because this is the first missionary of the New Testament. <laughs> first. The demoniac. And all he did was tell his story. That's all we're asked to do, right? The story is powerful. Mm-hmm. And only you can tell your stories. Only I can tell my story, which has been pretty remarkable in the last 12 months, all right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we need to encourage people in your audience, tell your story. Yes. You know, when you go to the supermarket, when you go to the PTA, when you go to the high school basketball game, ask for permission to tell your story. I often tell people that when they say, I want to witness, but I just don't know all the verses to you. I said, tell them how Jesus has impacted your life. I mean, there's one thing you ought to know is your story, right? And no one else can tell your story but you. Only you have the credibility to tell it. We need to tell our story wherever we can. And look and so, at the fruit. 4,000 people show up as a result of... Amazing yield, right? Wow. Way to go, Holy Spirit. Amen. So, what do we learn about God in this passage? Well, quite a bit, actually. His heart beats for people who society marginalizes as sub, sub, subhuman beings. Okay? He will do whatever it takes to rescue one person. Okay? We learn here with Jesus that his timetable isn't the disciples' timetable. Jesus says, we're going late in the afternoon and they're not ready, right? We also learn here that disciples can't manage God. (laughs) Much as they might want to try, okay? We learn here that he has authority over the adversary and one word is sufficient. And we learn here that his time frame is not our time frame and none can stay his hand. Hmm. Isn't this a remarkable story? Especially when you understand the context. I know. And this is what happened in the first 12 hours. Now the next 12 hours, he's going to go back and bring Jairus' daughter back to life and deal with the woman with the issue of blood. What a remarkable 24-hour window of time for Jesus. Absolutely remarkable. Doug, that was amazing. Thank you for teaching us about context. Could you look in that camera and tell folks how they can get in touch with your ministry? Well, if you'd like to be equipped to read the Bible in the way that we were just developing this passage here, go to preservingbibletimes.org and check out a wealth of contextual resources that will get you up to speed. Well, folks, that's our program for today. I hope it has been a blessing to you, and I hope the Lord willing you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. We want to invite you to attend our annual Bible conference, which is scheduled for July 12th and 13th of this year. The theme is Contending for the Faith, and that is exactly what we will be doing. The conference will begin on Friday evening, July 12th, with a concert by Marty Getz, who is one of the leading Messianic musicians in the world today. He will be followed by our keynote speaker, Kelly Shackelford, who is the founder and president of the law firm called First Liberty. It is the largest law firm in America that is devoted solely to the defense of Christian freedoms. He will provide a survey of the fight to defend Christian liberties in the military, education, business, and the public arena. The conference will continue all day Saturday with Marty Getz leading in
in worship before each speaker. Mike Riddle will speak on defending the Genesis account of creation. Eric Barger's topic will be defending the church from apostasy. A defense of the Bible's integrity will be presented by Mike Gendron. Ron Rhodes will defend the promise of Jesus to return. And Dave Reagan will defend the deity of Jesus. The conference site will be the Plano Event Center in Plano, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. There will be displays by many Christian ministries, both domestic and international, and the fellowship amongst the 1,500 expected attendees will be rich. Best of all, the conference is free of charge. So make your plans now to come and join us for a spiritual feast. Again, the dates are Friday and Saturday, July 12th and 13th. To register for the conference, give us a call at the number on the screen or register through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 